Okay, Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. So what we're going to study now is we're going to study Peter's sermon at Pentecost, or the preaching of Pentecost, and the theme of his message. He stands up to proclaim the word. The theme of it is in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's the theme of his message. He wants to prove to those that are there uh, in Judea and in Jerusalem that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. When a preacher stands up to preach, if you watch for it, Oftentimes, he will announce the theme of his message. I like preachers who do that. I've uh, heard some recently who have, and it made me think I need to do that too because it's easy to follow. Oftentimes, they'll get up, give an introduction, and say, I'm going to preach on this, and that's your theme or your subject of the sermon. Sometimes they read the scripture, say a few words, say, I'm going to preach on this theme, and then pray, and then, and then get to preaching. I like that. I heard a couple of preachers from Kentucky recently at the prayer conference. And, uh, man, guys from Kentucky, they can really preach. <laughs> I mean, uh, it was a father-son combination, and the Keseys is their name. Uh, the son got up and preached first, and I thought, man, that's good. And then dad got up and just outdid him. Uh, dad is, I'd say, probably in his 80s, probably. Just outdid him, but just both of them, powerful messages. But uh, the same kind of preaching, old-fashioned preaching, get up and they tell you what they're going to preach, and then they preach it, then they tell you what they preached. And Peter's the same way. He stands up, and uh, he, he runs the same theme throughout all of his message, and there's plenty of Bible in there, too. There's plenty of that in there. So notice that the speaker is Peter. Notice his audience in verse 14, is the men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem. So his, his audience is entirely Jewish. And notice that Peter's not scared anymore. Peter is a different man. He is now bold as a lion. He was hiding in the upper room, but now he stands up to preach the word of God with great boldness, great power, and great effect. What is the difference? What changed in Peter's life? Peter's the rock. Yeah. Amen. What, what, else, what else changed in Peter's life? He is now that rock, and he's using the keys of the kingdom. He's opening the door of the gospel up to the Jews right now. Later on, he'll open up the door of the gospel to the Gentiles. But what else changed about Peter? Yeah, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out on this great day on the birthday of the church. And I want you to notice back in chapter 1, uh, we talked about the different things that happened on that day and the different things that the Spirit does for us. I want you to notice that it doesn't say in chapter 2 that they were uh, baptized with the Holy Ghost, but that's exactly what happened. In verse 5 of chapter 1, that's what Jesus said would happen. And that's what came to pass. Chapter 5, Jesus said, John truly did baptize with water. But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days 
hints. So he's talking to the 11 there. He's talking to uh, the total of the 120 uh, disciples and uh, just uh, take that number roughly. Um, but when they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, and they went on to ask him something about the kingdom. But he promised that they would be baptized, and that's what happened when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Um, they were baptized, and therefore the baptized of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit, those that are baptized, are immersed. That's what baptism means, to dip, to plunge. When you take your dishes, if you do dishes the old-fashioned way of having one sink of hot soapy water, you know, and one sink of clean rinsing water, I don't know if you do dishes like that. That's how we had to do it when I was a kid. That's how mom and dad taught us to do it. I think probably because they didn't want to pay for too much water on the water bill. But um, I don't do it like that now because I'm just thinking that water, once I dip that in there, I don't know how long that stays clean. But anyways, um, that's the way I just go to it. But now we have dishwasher. But when you, when you put that plate down into the water, the soapy water, and you scrub on it, you're baptizing it. You're immersing it. You're submerging it. Take it up out of that water, put it into the clean rinsing water. You, you are dipping it down in there, plunging it into the water. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, he places us into Christ. Before we are saved, we are in Adam. You know, old Adam, the, the first federal head of the human race. Now there's a new Adam, Christ. He's the last Adam, and he is the federal head of a new race and uh, of the sons of God, and we are placed into Christ. There's only two people in this world. Those that are in Adam, who are in a fallen, depraved race that are uh, destined to be condemned uh, and are condemned already, and then there are those who are in the last Adam in Jesus Christ. That's one of the things that happens, and it's instantaneous for us. When you believe, you are baptized with the Holy Ghost into Christ. Another way to think of it, you're literally in his body, which is the universal church. Another way to think of it is you are united with Christ. You are identified with him. You say, what does that mean? When he died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. When he rose again, you rose again with him. You are united with him in some mysterious way. It's one of those mysteries. Uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory, you're united with him and you are therefore in Christ dead to sin. And then when we do water baptism, that's what that all pictures. So that happened on the day of Pentecost. Not only that, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit. What does the filling do? There's one baptism, one spiritual baptism and many fillings. What does the filling do? It gave Peter great boldness. If you're filled with the Spirit and you come to church, guess what? Your heart is going to be in it. You're going to exalt Jesus Christ. You're going to worship Him through singing. Your singing will be worshipful singing. You're going to worship Him through praise, whether it's out loud or whether it's in your heart. You're going to worship Him that way. You are going to be a shining and a bright and a bold witness for Jesus Christ. And we all witness in different ways, don't we? Uh, but... You, you need to be filled with the Spirit. We all, you need to be filled with the Spirit to be a mom. Amen. You need to be filled with the Spirit to be a dad, to be a pastor, to be a deacon. You need to be filled with the Spirit to be a teenager who's living for Christ in these days. Man, there's so much against us. So much against us. We need to be filled with the Spirit. Um, 
So he is now, and that's where his boldness comes from. Don't forget it. If we're going to do anything for God, if we're going to make a mark for God in this world, it's going to be by the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit of God, because 3,000 people are going to get saved. We'll do nothing without the filling of the Spirit. So he says, uh, he says, hearken to my words, listen up, verse 15, for these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it, it is but the third hour of the day. So the day, the daylight part of their day began at 6 a.m. The third hour from that is 9 a.m. And the Jews were told, uh, who were engaged in the observance of special days, and this was a special day, this was Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, they would uh, fast from eating and drinking until 10 a.m., and they'd be involved in things in the synagogue there in the early morning hours. So he's saying it's about the third hour of the day, and uh, you all know that we fast all the way up until the fourth hour of the day, so they're not drunk on, on wine, as you suppose. So he starts off by reacting to his audience, and his message springs out of that reaction. They had been mocking, saying they're, they're full of new wine. These people are acting strange. And so because the crowd mocked and jeered, Peter said, I'm going to take that right there, and I'm going to preach from right there. I'm going to start my message right there. I'm going to spring out of the crowd's uh, reaction to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the 120. And what he does is he removes all the barriers for listeners. Anything that would keep them from getting the truth and hearing the gospel, he removes that barrier. And that's another thing that a preacher does in a message in his introduction. If you watch for it, we hear a lot of sermons, don't we? We hear a lot of preaching. I know this isn't a class to teach preaching, but this is one of the things that you learn. Uh, as you practice the, the delivery and the presentation of uh, the Word of God, you've got to take into account right up front things that might be barriers that might keep people from being able to receive the Word of God. Because sometimes people will hear what you're about ready to preach, and then they'll just shut you off. Or they'll say, I heard that before. Let's say like you start to preach on sanctification. Or holiness. Right away, there's barriers. People get funny when you start preaching about sanctification and holiness. So right up front, you got to help them. You got to remove barriers. You got to say, I don't know what your past uh, looked like, your church uh, uh, history, and your own personal life. I don't know if you grew up in a church where they said you can't cut your hair and you're not allowed to wear makeup, and you got to wear a dress and you're not allowed to wear bobby socks and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but that's not what I'm talking about today. You see, I'm removing a barrier. That's not what I'm talking about. So he's doing that and he's saying they're not drunken and you can't use that as an excuse. And then he says in verse 16, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So at the start of his message, he brings scripture right into it. And he says that Jesus' life and ministry was fulfillment of Scripture and of prophecies, and you should have known it, and you should have known the prophecies of Joel, and you should have known that these things were going to happen. So he takes them right to the Bible. He takes them right to Scripture, and he says Jesus' uh, life, ministry, his death, his resurrection 
is all being verified by several things. Several things. And one of them is it's a fulfillment of prophecy. So he goes on to quote prophecy right up front as he's preaching. And here's the thing. Somebody said, if you can show me from the Bible, I'll believe you. And that's the way we ought to be, right? If you can show me from the Bible, I'll believe you. But if you can't show me from scriptures, I'm not going to take what you said to be the truth. And that ought to be the way that we listen to preaching. And Peter did that. He verified what was happening with scripture and said that this is all uh, the beginnings of a fulfillment of prophecy. And he's quoting from Joel chapter 2. And he's quoting from Joel chapter 2 and right around in, in uh, 36 or 38 is where he is in this. So let's read a little bit of it. Uh, Joel chapter 2 verse 28 rather. And it shall come to pass in the last days saith God I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions your old men shall dream dreams and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke just imagine Peter he's up standing up there He's got the 11 behind him all showing their support and agreement with his message. And he's thundering out the word of God. Just bold. The righteous are as bold as a lion, the Bible says. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's quoting there from Joel chapter 2. That's the same scripture that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And that's the end of what we preach as the Romans road, God's simple plan of salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here he's reading scripture. Now notice uh, several things about this. First of all, it shall come to pass in the last days. Let's take a look just quickly at the last days. Okay, I'm going to draw a little timeline up here. Anybody have a comment or a thought that just comes to mind when you're listening to that? You can go ahead and say on. The term the last days comes up in scripture quite a bit. And We've talked about this before in our Wednesday night studies, but here's just a little bit of a review about it. This, as you know, represents Calvary. In the last days, it begins with the first advent of Christ. The first advent, the first coming of Christ. So that would be around about there. Specifically, um, John the Baptist shows up, and that's when these prophecies are uh, brought to bear on the children of Israel. That's the first time that they hear from a prophet. Uh, and then one of, the, one of the great things I heard one of those Kentucky preachers say is that when God spoke on the day of Jesus' baptism, 
He said that when God spoke from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's the first time that they'd heard God's voice in 400 years. It was 400 years of silence, and they'd heard a prophet before that. And I, I get his sentiment, and it, was, and it made for good preaching, but they heard God's voice when they heard the preaching of John the Baptist. He was preaching, and he was the first open prophet and the open vision of the Lord. So when you hear a preacher, spirit-filled preacher, preaching the word of God, you're hearing God's voice. That is God's voice. And you ought to say, God, speak to my heart. But, uh, but I, get, I get what he was saying. Um, the first advent, this starts the last days, okay? Let's just maybe put it up here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've not been in the last days for six thousand years. We've been in the last days for two thousand years. Yeah. But I. Uh, yes. Yes. And that's what was prophesied. It had been prophesied. Uh, but specifically, like in, in relation to Christ, and there might, you know, what you're saying, I understand, uh, but in relation to Christ and him showing up, when he showed up, that was the start of the last days. And the last days, now, when Jesus Christ comes back, the second coming of Christ. Okay, that's, people say that's the end of the last days. Okay? That's the end of the last days. Not entirely accurate, but it's, it's good to kind of help you to think about it. And, it. and it's a good, easy kind of a, a way to, let's see, a way to kind of make it nice and clean, you know? There, that's the last days. From the first advent to the second advent or the second coming. But it's not entirely true. Um, so what you have is you have after the second coming, you have Christ, he sets up his kingdom, right? Well, that's the last days too. That's the last days too. And even more specific than that, um, look, at, uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Well, actually, look at Hebrews 1 first. Hebrews 1. So you have towards the back, towards Revelation, you have Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, Jude, and Revelation. So Hebrews chapter one, and here you can see it real clear. Again, if I can't give you book, chapter, and verse, you have no responsibility to take what I'm saying as as being the truth. And then when I'm telling you something that I'm saying. This is the way it looks to me. I'll tell you that. This is the way it looks to me. But um, Hebrews chapter 1. So. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners, different times and different ways, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, okay? Now, uh, this is a book that is addressed to who? Hebrews, right? Hebrews. Um, if you want to know who brews the coffee in my house, it's, it's Hebrews. That's what the kids would tell you. I do it. 
Um, but anyways, uh, bad joke, right? Um, spake in times past unto the fathers. Who's that? Jewish fathers. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Uh, by the prophets. Moses was a prophet, and there were other prophets. Jesus was a prophet that showed up in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, spoke uh, by those means, verse 2, hath in these last days, so you see these last days, hath in these last days, starting at the first advent, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath anointed, or excuse me, appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So, the writer to the Hebrews said, hath in these last days, and he's right about here. I don't know what date, do you have a date in your Bible on the writing of Hebrews? Uh, probably somewhere around 60 A.D. or something. Does anybody have a date on their Bible? Okay, 64. Okay. Sixty-four. Yeah, so it's got to be. Yes, good, 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 good. Everybody hear that? That is that's good. The temple is not mentioned as being destroyed here, so that gives us good reason that it's got to be before seventy A.D. So sixty-four to seventy A.D.—that's a good roundabout number, but um, probably put like sixty-four to sixty-nine might be a little bit better. Um, Okay, there's Hebrews. So he says, hath in these last days. Okay, now compare that to 1 Timothy. The, the last days started when Jesus showed up and John the Baptist announced him. The last days concerning God's dealings and sending uh, the Messiah. And But Paul speaks about it as being yet future, uh, 2 Timothy 3. Sometimes I don't know till I get there. Yeah, 2 Timothy 3. Notice there in verse 1. Yeah, I want to try something different. Uh, I, sometimes I do this, and most times I don't. Would somebody like to read uh, verse 1, just uh, verse 1 and verse 2 of 2 Timothy? That would be far enough. Would uh, maybe ask Brother Adam, do you mind reading? Okay. Unholy. Yeah, so thank you, uh, Brother Adam. Did you notice that Paul wrote there, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. In the last days, perilous times shall come. Yes, oh yeah. And that's exactly, you're in them. You're in the last days. Yeah. In, ver, in verse, uh, let's do that. Let's look at verse, uh, Romans chapter 1. But verse 2, for men shall be lovers, shall be. So Paul was talking about something that's going to happen in the future. He was prophesying. Uh, Romans chapter 1. So what did you have in mind there, uh, my brother Clifford. All right. Romans chapter 1 and verse, uh, yeah, isn't that so true? 
Men did not like to retain God in their knowledge. And God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which were not convenient. That's where we are. Haters of God, verse 30. And you can see it. We can see it more than ever with all of the social media. Social media can be such a blessing. Uh, but you can just see more than ever that people are haters of God. And if you search something on YouTube, say you search Independent Fundamental Baptist, those people that are putting together that site, they push the things ahead that they want you to see. And they'll push all the dirt on Independent Fundamental Baptist, all the bad stuff. You search Chick Tracks, same thing. Uh, Chick Tracks, Independent Fundamental Baptist, the world does not like them. Guess what? If that's the case, you know we're on the right track. Uh, now, there's some things... There's some things that have happened in independent fundamental Baptist churches. It's just a shame. But you know, it's happened in every denomination. It has. So there's some things I do not like about IFB. But at the same time, I like what they stand for. Uh, so, and I'm not, I don't beat that drum real loud, but that's just a point. Uh, people are haters of God. And you get on there and you'll find out about it. You just go out and start witnessing and passing out tracks, you'll find out. So that's where we are. So Paul said, in the last, last days, perilous times shall come. So there's a period toward the end of the, of the uh, church age, right around in here. Uh, you'd have the, the tribulation period right here. But you got, right at the end of the ch church age, Paul says things are really going to heat up. So you'd put... Uh, 1 Timothy 3, and the world has never seen anything like what it's, what's going on right now. And I don't care if you look at cultures and the way cultures change over time and, you know, the, the, uh, the, the decline and the fall, the apostasy of Christianity in Europe. You can study that stuff and everything, but I'm telling you, this world has never seen anything the likes of what it's seeing now globally, worldwide. It's seeing a fulfillment of that prophecy. So Paul talks about the last days, uh, specifically kind of towards the end of the church age. So what you have here is you have for 2,000 years after, uh, yes, I'm so thankful, so thankful for grace. You have the church age, which is the uh, age of grace, and you got God's grace just on full display. If it weren't for grace, where would we be? If it weren't for grace, we could get nothing done for God. But you've got the church age, which is 2,000 years in here. And towards the end, Paul said it's going to get real bad. So Paul talks about the last days. And he says towards the end, it's really going to heat up. Now you have the last days of the, of the Jews. Okay, you got like a seven years here. And you got the Jewish last days. And that's different. That's different than the church. So what I'm trying to say is that what Peter is talking about, and in context, he's talking about the Jewish last days. Uh, and what, uh, when he quotes Joel, Joel is referring to the Jewish last days. Now let's go back to Acts chapter 2. I'll show you. <clears throat> Yes. Yeah, you're talking about the purpose of the Jewish last days? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. So you think about, yes, sir. Yes. Yes. So the day of the Lord, it involves several things, but what he's referring to right there, that's right at the end of the tribulation. That's uh, some of those judgments and revelation that you read about. That's when that is fulfilled. Yes, sir. Some of those details as you look closer at it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the last days for the Jews. Notice he says here, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit. Now, in the last days, I will pour out of my spirit. Here we are right about here, right about 33 AD, depending on how you look at it. You can just say 30 AD if you'd like. 50 days past that Pentecost, the spirit is poured out. So this is a fulfillment of that prophecy, and he speaks about the last days. But if you study Joel, okay, we're not going to go there, but if you study Joel, I taught Joel uh, in, in Bible college, and I'm going to teach it on Wednesday night here pretty soon. The context of what Joel is talking about is the last days of the nation of Israel, and it's having to do with, it's Jewish, it's entirely Jewish, which is which goes right along with what Peter's doing here because what he's doing here is entirely Jewish. Okay? Now, can you see the last days, the distinct last days for the Jews in the Bible? Yes, you can. I'm glad you asked. Okay? Um, look, at, look at Isaiah. Okay? In the Old Testament, if you go to Psalms and then go to the right, keep going to the right, you'll run into Isaiah. Go to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. Sorry about the ringing from the microphone. And verse 1. The last days for Israel is different. I'm just showing you this distinction here. And uh, so you can see it, that there's a difference there. And if all of this seems confusing... Just over time, it becomes clearer and clearer. It's kind of like, uh, you know, on your phone sometimes, trying to take a picture and it's blurry and you touch the object that you want to bring into focus and that phone will auto-focus on that object. Uh, it's like that too. After a while, you're studying this stuff, it starts to become clearer and clearer. So Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 1 says here, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, Saul concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Okay, so we know who the audience is or who's the intended recipients. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountain and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall float in, flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. 
That is talking about Jerusalem. If you keep reading down there, you see it. And what happens is the mountain of the Lord, that's uh, Mount Zion. That's Jerusalem. And so right here, he's got the last days right here. So you're going to have a thousand-year millennial kingdom. And he's saying during the last days of Israel, the nations are going to flow into this. When they talk about a mountain, that's more than just symbolic. Uh, that mountain refers to power and strength in the Bible. But what you have coming down during the millennium is you have New Jerusalem coming down. When Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he meant a literal place. He's preparing New Jerusalem. That's where we are going to live. If you're saved during the millennium, you say that's out there. It's pretty wild. Yeah, it is. And you just hang around and you'll you'll learn a lot more things. Uh, the Bible is an amazing book. But Jesus is going to be there in Jerusalem. We're going to dwell there with him. We're going to have our own special place that we live in. And the uh, last days, you see, is referring to a kingdom age. So the last days for the Jews is both judgment and blessing. Okay. Okay, can you, do you mind reading that? Yes, I love that. Yes, it will. Yeah, no more fighting between Russia and the Ukraine. None of that. You're not living by faith anymore here. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of shows you that uh, they're not they're not even they're not living by faith anymore because right. we, we walk by faith and not by sight. Right. But you're gonna be able to go to Jerusalem and see him, <laughs> see Jesus there. Length of life will be like the days of a tree. Right. Yeah. So you'll have go back to long life again. All the people who scoffed at people living 800, 900 years in Genesis, boy, are they going to uh, shut their mouths then, huh? Um, I don't know any way to talk other than being blunt. I'm trying to work on that. But uh, you pray for me. Uh, Micah. So, Micah, I might have uh, maybe, maybe. Pam, if you wanted to read, or, or Gina, I didn't ask you ahead of time, so if you don't want to, that's okay. So you got Jose, so if you, if you keep turning to the right, you'll pass Daniel, and then you'll have Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. If you got to Nahum, you went too far. If you're at Habakkuk, then Habakkuk up to Micah. Micah chapter 4. And I'll maybe ask, well, there's a lot of verses here, but maybe ask Pam if you wouldn't mind reading verse 1. In the last days, it shall come to pass that the mountains of the heavens 
Yes, uh, it's talking about the coming kingdom again. And just so you can see it more than once, verse 2, Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God. Now, that's not happening today, you understand. And that hasn't happened ever. <laughs> it's going to happen. So that's, that's prophecy for you. You've got to put it. Here's, here's the deal. When you read prophecy, like Peter stood up, he said, You should have known about Joel. Jesus, when he was preaching, he said, you should have known about the prophecies from uh, Daniel. You see, same thing. So when you, when you read things, you've got to put the prophecy in the right place. Prophecy might be here, the first advent. Prophecy might be for the church age. The prophecy might be uh, towards the end of the church age. Prophecy might, might plug it in right here in the tribulation, or you might plug it in the kingdom. That's why, that's why I am a big proponent of dispensational Bible study. That's a big word, but all it means is just rightly dividing the word of truth, making right divisions, knowing where things belong when you read them. And when you can see this, when you're reading your Bible, all of a sudden it opens up to you. You read something like this, and you know it's talking about the kingdom, you know, because people are not going up to the mountain of the Lord, and Jesus is not there. Uh, if they're doing anything over there around Jerusalem, they're trying to get rid of the Jews, and that's been happening since Winston, well, Churchill, you know, was back in 1920-something, giving away the Jews' land. So, verse 3, he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into postures. There's that again. But you got Jesus rebuking strong nations, getting everybody in line. Verse 4, they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. I don't know if you'll live in Racine. Uh, maybe you will. I don't know. Maybe you'll, maybe, you'll, uh, maybe you'll have family in Racine. Maybe you'll have a vacation home here, and you can go from Jerusalem to Racine, and you got family here, and they got a vine outside of their place, and they got a... One of the, what do you call the structure that you build? That, an arbor. They got a trellis arbor outside of their place, and they're out there relaxing. Now, they're not going to be just doing nothing. Men were made to work. They'll be working during the, uh, the millennium. Men were made to work. Somebody liked that. Uh, Nations shall not lift up sword. There's going to be peace on earth. Verse 4, but they shall sit every man under his vine. Verse 5, for all the people will walk everyone in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halteth, and well, there's more to it there, but you can see it there, okay? That is the last days of Israel, but it's got to come first with the birth pangs to bring forth all of this stuff to pass, okay? Back to Acts chapter 2. When Peter preaches... Acts chapter 2, when he quotes Joel chapter 2, you just need to know that the doctrinal uh, context of that is the Jewish last days. That's the intended audience, which is important to know. <clears throat> okay, and then, so notice when uh, Peter starts preaching on Joel, if you're paying attention to it, you realize that not all those things happened. Not all those things happened. This is Joel's prophecy, but the prophecy was not completely or entirely fulfilled here. In verse 17, 
The Holy Spirit was poured out, but not upon all flesh. You see, it was the Holy Spirit was poured out upon 120. Uh, now, don't take that to mean anything other than what I'm saying. It wasn't entirely fulfilled on this day. And I'm just pointing to the fact that it was just 120, not, a, not all flesh. So this is the beginning of Joel's prophecy, and Peter's basically saying, let me tell you what Joel said. Okay? Here's another reason why you know it's not a complete fulfillment of the prophecy. Verse 19, I will show, or shew, wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, what Brother Adam pointed out. That didn't happen there in verse 20. That didn't happen on the day of Pentecost. That's going to happen during the Great Tribulation. And then verse 21, It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. That's a doctrinal thing, doctrinally pointed at the Tribulation, you know, in that little buffer period, that little margin of time that we were talking about. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord is going to be saved out of that time of Tribulation, Okay. That's going to happen there. And these things where it's talking about the Spirit being poured out on all flesh, uh, get ready for it. When is that going to happen? All flesh. That goes right here in the kingdom. It goes in the kingdom. Now, are they going to prophesy and there's going to be signs and visions, things like that in the tribulation? Yeah. But that pouring out of the Spirit upon all flesh you study it, that happens in the millennial kingdom, okay? So uh, those things are, much of the fulfillment of that is, is uh, going to happen later. And if you look at verse 21, and if you compare that also with verse 40, notice in verse 40, with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter is giving an application to his day and time, and he's taking something from Joel chapter 2 that doesn't apply <laughs> doctrinally to the church age. Okay, I know this is like you've, you've never heard anything like this before, probably, most likely. I know that, and I know the first time I heard it, I thought I'd never heard anything like this before. And I'm trying to make sense of it all in my mind, how this all works. What Joel is prophesying about doctrinally is right here it's jewish what peter does is he stands up and he applies it spiritually to the people let me give it to you like this it's the same thing that paul does in romans chapter 10 verse 13 he quotes joel chapter 2 and joel chapter 2 doesn't refer doctrinally to us you got to understand joel is not aimed at us it's not written to us we're reading somebody else's mail all scripture has a doctrinal application. There's three applications. There's a spiritual application. There's a historical. And uh, there's a devotional or spiritual, however you want to put it. I'll do a devotional so we have two Ds. All scripture has these three applications, three, three big ones. So doctrinally, doctrinally, it applies, Joel 2 applies to the Jews. Now, Peter is, is giving it to the Jews and 
when he says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, that is something that doctrinally we will be fulfilled in the tribulation, but it's also fulfilled in the church age. But when Paul, and for the Jews, when Paul uses, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Paul is using it devotionally. It's not the only time that he does that. He'll take things, Paul will take things that refer to the second advent of Christ, and he'll use them and apply them spiritually to the church. And they go in the kingdom. It's not the only time that happens. There's a little bit of detail. Um, like back in Joel, when Joel was preaching, he preached about the locusts, right? And uh, said that God will give you back the years that the locusts ate. And he's talking about a, uh, what do you call it, a, uh, infestation of insects, right? Which historically probably happened. That God would judge nations with insects. One time God judged nations with moths. And these pesky moths are in your eyes and trying to get in your mouth and floating, flowing around your face and flying around you and you're trying to swat them and get them away and you think, what are these moths? There must be some kind of natural explanation. And God said, I sent the moths. I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to bug you get your attention because there's a greater judgment coming. You need to pay attention. Things happen to us and we think oh, it's just got a natural explanation to it. That's because we're secular in our thinking. We've been programmed to think that way. When things happen, we ought to say, God, what are you trying to say to me? <laughs> you know, so they didn't pay attention to the moths, so God sent a greater thing. When Joel preached, he preached about the coming, uh, those locusts. That was a historical fulfillment but it had a doctrinal fulfillment as well because what he went on to say about the locusts was fulfilled in the tribulation. Now, let's get back to Acts chapter 2. What this is, you say, how, how are you uh, explaining that this prophecy was only partially fulfilled? This is the way to, uh, this way to understand it. This is an example of double application. It's the law of double Reference or double application. That's one of the laws of Bible study. It has two applications. It was partially fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, but only partially. It will be completely fulfilled during the kingdom. All right, did we hit that one enough, do you think? Okay, we've got a couple minutes. Any questions about that? Can I ask you the same thing when you were talking about the moths? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Like you stated before, these the moths that run in you and get that, that's because you keep your flesh. Hmm. Yes, yes. Right. So we're we are prepared for all that. We are. And that's what I'm trying to get across in the book of Acts. So we're studying the book of Acts, and just what Brother Clifford said, we're studying the book of Acts with a dispensational approach, which is the only way to make sense of Scripture. You say, what do you talk about? All right, well, yes. So let me give you something negative, okay? If you go around and start preaching, hey, listen, I believe in the last days God's going to pour out of his spirit. And the sons and daughters are going to prophesy, and the young men shall see visions, the old men will dream dreams. Listen, that's not applied to the church age. 
okay, hold on, hold on. I know what somebody's thinking. Somebody's arguing with me in their mind. In the beginning of the gospel and in the book of Acts, God has prophets who, they're real prophets. And they say to Paul, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem because look, here's what's going to happen. And a prophet takes off his belt. He ties his arms up. He said, this is what's going to happen to you, Paul. That was a prophet using an object lesson, just like the Old Testament. Yeah. There's female prophets in the book of Acts, prophetesses. You say, well, what do you say about that? Okay. Keep on studying the book of Acts with me. Okay. What do I say about that? These things were given partially fulfilled during the ministry of the apostles for one reason and for one reason only. You know what that is? You know what that reason is? As a sign to the Jews to validate the Jewish ministry of the Jewish apostles to the Jewish nation of Israel concerning their Jewish Messiah. And once they turn away from him for the third time in the book of Acts, God says, that's it, done with you. Done with you here. I'm not. I'm going to get back to you later on in the tribulation. God says, "I'm done with you." And by the end of the book of Acts, you see the cessation. the The signs have ceased. The sign gifts of the apostles; those things have ceased, and they're not active today. Yes. Yeah. Right. And, and that was, it was a, a Jewish thing. Um, I'll take, I'll show you the verses. It says the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. It's through the whole Bible. How did God first deal with the nation of Israel? With a sign, the burning bush. That's how he dealt with Moses. He said, Moses, call my people out. And that's when the nation of Israel was born. It started with a sign. The symbol of Israel is not the Davidic star. The symbol of Israel is a burning bush that can't be consumed. That's Israel. They just won't be consumed no matter how much you try to kill them. Okay? Let's, uh, let's stop there. You say, don't you believe in anything, you know, f- that's like miraculous or phenomenal that you can't explain? I absolutely do. Listen, I believe that if a church really gets to pray and if God wills it, people can get healed in a way that doctors can't explain it. I believe that God sometimes will send revival to people who are really praying and seeking for it, and God might speak to the heart of one of those people and say, there's going to be a man who comes here, and he's going to preach, and he's going to come from another land. It's happened, okay? And he's going to preach, and I'm going to bring revival, and I'm going to pour out my spirit, not for a baptism, because that happens when you get saved, but for a filling and just an outpouring. And I believe we ought to pray for an outpouring. Pray for another outpouring of the Holy Spirit locally in this church and if it's not this church it might be another one so i do believe in those things but the sign gifts of the apostles were to validate the ministry of the apostles and uh, the messiah to the jews to give them a chance okay let's take a break there